I want to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, will be our text this Lord's Day as we pick back up in our study of Luke's Gospel. Just to remind you, since we've had a, a couple weeks since we were here, uh, where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 12 is uh, Jesus has dined with a group of Pharisees and scribes. He has uh, very clearly spoken to them. He's given them these, these woes, woe to you, uh, where he has uh, boldly said to them where they have been led astray. They, they have followed an empty religion, and he has come to offer them true religion that is based entirely in on, on him being the Lord's Messiah. And, and as this has taken place, uh, there are many of the Pharisees and scribes who don't believe Christ is the Lord's Messiah. They're trying to trick him, to trap him. In fact, after this dinner, many of them then follow him. And what Luke tells us is that a great crowd forms. And we see that at, the, at this point in Jesus' ministry where literally thousands are following him. And, and you can understand that. They, they want to see uh, the, the miracle-working rabbi. They want to be touched by him. They want to be healed by him. Uh, and then there's others like the Pharisees and scribes who just want to question him and test him. And so the scene that we have there in Luke 12 is that, that there's such a great mob following him that literally some are trampling one another. And in this context, uh, Jesus turns to his disciples and he teaches them. He, he warns them about not following into the trap, the, the leaven, he calls it, the sin of the Pharisees, which he says is hypocrisy. Uh, he also at this point gives a very clear warning to those who refuse to repent and put their trust in him. He speaks very clearly about the judgment that will come. And it's in this context now of these many who are around him and this very clear and sobering teaching that someone from the crowd asks him a question, which then leads to Jesus responding with a parable. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand once again as I read the word of God for us. And this is what God's word says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He would pray with me. Father, help us today to be on guard against all covetousness. 
It is easy for us to point out the sin in others' lives. It is easy for us to see the fault in our neighbor. But Lord, your word is before us today as a mirror to our soul that we might see our own sin, that we might repent of our sin, that we might trust in our Lord Jesus. So we pray that you would indeed help us to do these things as we look to your word now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in today's passage, we, we see Jesus respond with a parable. And as I mentioned to you when we started out in our study of Luke's gospel, uh, Luke uniquely has more parables recorded than any other gospel. And not only that, he has more unique parables. Uh, meaning that there are 18 parables in the Gospel of Luke that do not appear in the other Gospel accounts. Uh, we have covered a few of them. We will cover many more, so I thought it might be helpful just by way of introduction this morning to remind us of what parables are, uh, since Jesus uses these so often. Uh, the word parable actually comes from two Greek words. The first word is para. It's a prefix that means to come along something or someone else. And so oh, we use this prefix today. You think about a, a paralegal is someone who goes alongside an attorney to help them and work alongside them. And so that's what para means. And then the word parable comes from para in a Greek word balo, which actually means to throw or to toss, to hurl something. And when you put the words together, what it essentially means that you are throwing something out alongside something else. And so a parable is very much that. It is a story that is thrown out by someone alongside something else. It is coming by way of illustration, by way of teaching, in order to make a point that has essentially already been made. And that's what we see here. Jesus says you need to be on guard against all types of covetousness. And then he throws out beside that a parable, which is a story. And it's important that we understand in this context that that parable, that story in the scripture, it has one central point, perhaps two central points at times. But, but parables are not allegories. Uh, allegories are stories that not only illustrate, but have great meaning in all little details. And so I've mentioned to you many times, I, I love John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory, meaning that you can walk through just a few pages of Pilgrim's Progress and you can find so many different little nuggets there and so much meaning in each one. But we have to be careful that we don't view parables in that way as some have, because it can really lead us down a path of great distraction where we miss the point. Uh, when we come to a parable and we try to pick apart every little thing, and well, there must be hidden meaning here and hidden meaning there. And, and when we do that, oftentimes we miss that a parable is not about finding hidden meanings. It's about one clear meaning. And oftentimes that meaning, that point has already been stated, as is the case today. Jesus is encountering a question from someone, and in response to that question, he is pointing out an issue of sin in their heart and an issue of sin in so many hearts, this issue of covetousness. And then he gives this parable in order to make this point. Now, you come to this, this passage and this question that's thrown out there, and you may wonder, well, why is it that that he would be asking Jesus about this dispute. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, but it's important contextually to understand that, that parables were, were often used by rabbis in Jesus' day. 
Uh, they were used by Pharisees in Jesus' day, and they were used in order for the Pharisee uh, to better explain uh, their understanding of the law of Moses. The great difference between the Pharisees' use of parables and Jesus' use of parables is that uh, Jesus here is not just explaining the word, he is giving the word. Uh, he is not just explaining old revelation, he is giving new revelation, uh, which is why we take time on the Lord's Day then to study these parables that we might further understand and better understand what is the point Jesus is making. And the point, I believe, is this. It's the first observation I've put in your outline. The point is this. Jesus is warning about the dangers of covetousness. <laughs> now, again, we need to consider the context of in which Jesus is giving this, this warning. I've already mentioned there are crowds that have followed. There are literally thousands there. And what Jesus has just communicated, according to Luke's gospel, is a sober warning about rejecting the Son, rejecting the Spirit. He has given a sober warning against those who would refuse to repent, who would seek no pardon, who would never want forgiveness. He says, if you will seek no pardon, you will receive no pardon. Hey, if you seek no forgiveness, you'll receive no forgiveness. But Jesus speaks directly to those who might hold on to some type of religious notion that in the end, God's going to sort it all out. As long as you had a good heart, you're okay. That it's okay if you never confess Christ as Lord. It's okay that you were never devout in your religion. It's okay that you never opened up the word of God, that you never said the name of Jesus. You, you had a good heart, you're going to be okay. Now, Jesus says no. God's word says no. We don't even have good hearts. The scripture says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The scripture says we don't even know our own hearts. And Jesus says real clearly, listen, you, you, you can say some ill words about the name of Jesus, but if you refuse the Holy Spirit, if, if you absolutely refuse to repent, you, you'll receive no pardon. There'll be no forgiveness. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a judgment to come. And, and it's in this context of him giving this sober warning that someone from the crowd then asks a question. And we might expect the question at that point to be something along the lines of, well, well how can I know that I'm saved? <laughs> how might I truly know that I have true and genuine religion? I've been listening to Pharisees all my life. I understand they are misguided. They are wrong. How can I know, Jesus, that one day I'll be in the kingdom with you? That's not what someone asked. <laughs> it's in this context that a man then speaks up boldly and says to Jesus, Jesus, help me because my brother and I have a dispute over an inheritance and we need you to sort this out. Now just, just think about that for a second. There's this serious, sober warning. There's this intense teaching. And then essentially, like a child at a dinner table. He wants Jesus to help him sort out an argument over a toy. <laughs> and we might read that and think, well, how, how out of place this must be. How, how insulting this must be for Jesus to give this, this very sober warning. And then for someone to obviously not get the point of what Jesus was teaching, but just have a selfish personal dispute he wants him to solve. And I think it very much was selfish. I think he probably wasn't paying attention to what Jesus was saying. But it's not so out of place in Jesus' day. Because rabbis and teachers in this day were expected, and you can go back and read this in Deuteronomy, they were expected at times to play the role of judge and arbitrator. They were expected 
to settle disputes involving specifically inheritances. So this is who this man would have gone to in order to receive help and this whatever this dispute was that he had with his brother over the inheritance, over who was going to get what, uh, over whatever argument that was there. We still see these things today. Perhaps you've been involved in this today. When someone passes, there's an inheritance. All of a sudden, there's dispute and there's argument. And I deserve this. Well, no, I was told this. And it gets very ugly. Well, it was the same in Jesus' day, except in Jesus' day, they could bring those disputes to the teacher, to the rabbi, and that is what this man is doing. In fact, when he comes to Jesus, you notice here he addresses him as teacher. He's expecting him as teacher to settle this dispute. He, he wants Jesus to give a judgment regarding this inheritance. But this is no ordinary teacher. This is not your run-in-the-bill rabbi. This is the Lord's Christ. This is God in flesh, and, and he is able uniquely to do what he does here. He's able to, to pierce into this man's heart and to see and recognize his sin, to understand his motivation and, and why it is he is seeking resolution. And what Jesus sees and what Jesus clearly points out, that this man is greedy and this man is coveting. He wants that which he does not have. He wants more than he does have. And that is why he is bringing this dispute. And that is why Jesus responds the way he does. Verse 14 again, Luke says, but Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He is able to look at this man's heart and see in it a violation of the 10th commandment. So to see in it that this man was coveting, that, that he wanted that which he did not have. He wanted more than he had. There was a, a sin root here in this man's heart. That This was not a, a innocent dispute, a misunderstanding. This was a man who was greedy and wanted more than he had. And in this case, it's easy for us to see that. Because Jesus points that out. <laughs> and he says in response to him, be on guard against this very thing that's in your heart. It's easy to look out at a situation like this and see, oh yeah, that, that man, he's greedy. But it can be more difficult at times to look in our own hearts and see this. Because covetousness, greed, it, it is a very subtle sin. And it so easily can take root. And when it takes root, it leads to all types of other sins. This is why Paul gives us this warning and encouragement in 1 Timothy 6 where he writes, but godliness with contentment, hold on to that word contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take, can't take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. 
And notice what's being outlined for us there in 1 Timothy 6. We, we can see the, the subtlety of this snare, this trap that's laid out for us. It's not clear and obvious. Otherwise, no one would ever walk into it. No animal would be caught in it. But, but it's subtle and it's baited and they, they wander into it and all of a sudden it gets them. And Jesus says in the same way, there's this, this subtleness to coveting. That there's this subtleness to, to greed. And it just starts with a hint. You're watching a Christmas program on TV. An advertisement comes on. And it says, look at this new, flashy, wonderful thing. And you weren't even thinking about that old, non-flashy thing you have until you saw the new, flashy thing. And then you see the new, flashy thing, and you think, you know, I deserve that new flashy thing. I've got this old dull thing, and most people I know don't even have that old dull thing anymore. And, and man, I sure spent a lot of money to keep that old dull thing working, and look at this new thing. And then you hear this, this pleasant voice come on behind this new and shiny thing. You, you can have this now. You, you don't need to pay any money down. You don't need to worry about payments until 2085. This new shiny thing, oh, you need this new shiny thing now. And then just this, this, this subtleness, the, the program comes back on, other discussions come about, but there's this little seed planted in your mind and heart, and you just start thinking about this, this new shiny thing. It's so easy for something to come before us, just, just ever so subtly, and to rob our heart of content to take away perhaps the joy we had moments before. My wife, many, many times, I have heard her say to my children as they were growing up, and even now as many of them are grown, that comparison is the thief of joy. And we see that here, this comparison, this wanting more, wanting something else. It takes away our contentment. It takes away our joy so that we're no longer content in what we have. We want something more. And this is the issue of this man's heart. Again, we, we need not look at this parable and try to figure out his background and his situation and explain his motives. Jesus tells us very clearly what his motives are because he says, as soon as this man asks the question, be on guard against all types of covetousness. <laughs> and you can imagine what that would have been for this man who was doing what people in that day did. They, they brought their dispute before the rabbi. They asked for him to settle their dispute about an inheritance. And Jesus just goes right to the heart of the matter. Be on guard against all types of covetousness. Imagine if that was you or I, we would have got real defensive. We would have said, oh yeah, my brother, he's covetous here. You know, he's got the greed. No, Jesus is pointing out what the scripture so often does, that this is the root of all types of sin. James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask it wrongly, to spend it on your passions. What's pointed out here in James chapter 4 is what we see in the garden. God presents before Adam and Eve a sanctuary, a paradise, everything they could ever want 
full contentment in the garden is before them. But why do they sin? They want something more. You can eat from any tree in this garden, but you may not eat of that tree. And along comes the serpent, and with him comes temptation, and that temptation is what? Look at this new shiny thing. <laughs> look, look, look over there at that fruit. Well, well God said we could have this. Yeah, but just, just doesn't that look so much better? And there's something you cannot have. Don't you want that which you cannot have? With this is the root of so much sin. And so Jesus puts this before us so that we might be aware. And in order to be aware, we need to recognize when we are coveting, which brings us to that second observation. And Jesus teaches us how to recognize covetousness. And so here he, he tells the story. So again, here's the point. Uh, be on guard against all types of covetousness. This man is coveting. He is wanting and greedy. This is sin in his heart. So what does Jesus do? He uses that parable. He puts something alongside in order to teach a point, and he tells a story. So this is, this is not a true story. This is not a, an illustration of something he read in the, the local news. This is him giving a story in order to drive home this point. And so he tells the story of a rich man. So we know right out the bat that, that this man is rich. He is wealthy. He has been blessed. He has all that he needs. He has all that he could ever want. This is not the story of, of a pauper who hit a, a wonderful crop that year. It is the story of a man who was rich and had all that he needed. This rich man, he says, his land produced plentifully. So he had a, he had a bumper crop this year. He had more than he could ever need. And so, he has a decision to make. What will he do with all that he has been given? This is not so unlike the decision that you and I have to make every day of our lives. What will we do with all that we've been given? And we have been given much. Even the poorest among us in our nation has been given much. We are a, a blessed nation. We are a blessed people. I read an article not long ago, you've probably seen things like this, that said that estimates are that Americans throw away, throw out 40% of our food. And so we refer to it as we're going to clean out the refrigerator. But what does that really mean? It means we're going to go to the refrigerator and we're going to open it up and we're going to take things out that we paid money for and bought with an intent of eating, but they got lost behind uh, the, the grapefruits and the Capri Suns and the, the, the baking soda and, and, and last week's takeout Chinese and they got tucked back there and we, we forgot all about them and then a couple weeks go by and we realize, oh, I forgot I had that in there. Or, I changed my mind. I didn't want that. And, and we're going to clean out the refrigerator. We're going to throw away things that we went and bought to eat, but we had so much other stuff to eat that we never ate that thing and now we're going to throw it away. 40% of what you see in the grocery store, 40% of what you see on your plate when you go to a restaurant. We, we throw away. And this is common for us, but you have to realize how shocking this would be for so many in the world. One of my good friends, Mark Phillips, is a missionary in West Africa. As we've shared, they had to come home because of a, a coup that took place. They are actually preparing today travel to the airport to head back to Niger. You can pray for them as they go back. And one of the stories he has shared with me many times and with others was 
how uh, he had the opportunity once. He was spending some time with some kids in Aru, the first city they lived in. And as he was spending time with them, there, you know, resources were scarce there. There was a, no market to go to. They, they didn't have a whole lot. They had to travel quite a distance away to get goods that they could cook and prepare meals. And these kids uh, were coming up to him, and they had what looked to be some type of taffy. And so they shared a piece with him, and he said it was the most wonderful thing he had ever eaten in his whole life. He hadn't had sweets in a while, and this thing was wonderful. And he said he took every dollar he had out of his pocket, gave it to him, and said, go get more of that. And they brought it back, and he ate, and he ate, and he ate until he couldn't eat anymore. He would then share how he asked them about where they got this taffy, and they talked about how someone had made it. And he asked, well, where did they get the stuff to make it? And they pointed to the area in the village where he was dumping his trash. And he realized very quickly all the things that they had dumped out were what had been used to cook this thing. We have so. We have been blessed. There are people in the world who know nothing of this blessing. And the question for us today is, is not that, you know, we'll just feel bad about it, feel guilty about it. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to use it for the glory of Christ and for the, the kingdom to grow? What, what are we going to do with this plenty that is before us? And that is what's being illustrated here. That this man has so much. What will he do with what he has? And Jesus says this, he, this man, thinks to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He is a wealthy man. He has plenty of places to put things. He has so much, he can't even store it because all the things, the barns he has, they're full already. And so he says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. Remember that this, this is a clear story about coveting. This is not a condemnation on you if you build a bigger barn. Unless you're building it for this reason. <laughs> and unless you're looking at all that you have, and rather than being rich towards the kingdom and towards the, the, the glory of God, you just decide, I'm going to hoard, and I'm going to keep, and I'm going to just be a miser with this. And that's the picture we have here. And there's no debating his motives. Again, Jesus says, be on guard against covetousness. So let me tell you a story about coveting. And he gives this extreme illustration of someone who has so much, and yet they're never content with it. They want more. To the point, verse 19, they say, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What is absent from this parable? What is missing from this blessing this man's received? And it should be obvious. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of thankfulness. There's no mention of gratitude. There's just selfishness. Colossians 3, verse 17, we're told, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does this man do? He does not thank God. He thanks who? Himself. <laughs> he literally, absurdly says to his own soul, soul, you've done a good job here. I mean, you, can you just imagine that for a moment? You sit down for lunch today. 
Maybe you gather with some family. Someone says, will you give thanks? Yes, I'll give thanks. Richard, you are so wonderful. Richard, soul, you have done such a good job. Oh, how these others are so blessed to receive that which I have provided for them. Hey, Richard, would you do that? How absurd would it be to hear someone do that? And yet Jesus is saying, let me put the story alongside here that seems rather absurd, but don't we do this so often? Here's this root, here's this seed of covetousness. Don't, don't we look internally so often? And rather than thinking about this blessing God has given, we start thinking about what, what we have earned and what we deserve. And comparison robs us of all joy and contentment. And that's the point that's being made here. Jesus is saying, look, look, you need to look and recognize. It's so easy to look at another person and see their sin. And so, yeah, look at them in this story, see the sin, but then look back at your own heart and see where this same root is there. How, how do you respond when you're blessed? Well, what do you do when you get a bonus, something extra? Well, what do you do when the, the crop was really good and the year was really good and business was really good? How, how do you view that which you receive? Well, this man viewed it as he's the only person to thank. It's all about him. Look at what I got. I'm going to build bigger barns. Life's good. Uh-oh, verse 20. But God. But, but the one he did not thank, the one he did not acknowledge, the one who is responsible for the air we breathe and the food we eat and the clothes we wear, as he will outline, Jesus will, in the coming passage, which is really part two of what he's saying here, when he tells us, be content, don't be anxious. The one who is responsible for everything this man in this parable has, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? I'm sure you've heard it as I have many times. There's no U-Haul in a funeral procession. And that casket has enough room for your body. And you will not take it with you. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? And so Jesus tells this parable, really driving home this very point. It, it, it culminates with this man dies. <laughs> he had so much, he's proud, and he's wanting more. So he's going to build bigger barns. And had he had another bumper crop, I imagine what he would have done is tear down those bigger barns, build even bigger barns. Why? Because it's, it's about him and what he wants and his greed and his coveting heart. And Jesus says, okay, proud today, church, is there a hint of this in your heart today? Is there, is there a subtle seed of it in my heart today? Do we find ourselves lacking contentment and lacking joy because there's something else out there and we, we want it? And yet we know it won't satisfy us because one day that new shiny thing is going to be the old not-so-shiny thing and then there's something else we want. And and there's a, a desire here that things cannot satisfy. And so what does Jesus do? Third observation here, he offers the cure for covetousness. Verse 21, again, Jesus, there, there's a central point here, and it's coveting. And he says, this is what happens. To who? 
Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, so how do we avoid this? We don't lay up treasure for ourselves. We need to be rich toward God. How can we be rich towards God? We need to begin by understanding and, and rightfully thanking God for everything that we have. And just rather than dwelling on that which we do not have, consider what God has richly blessed us. In a world that says to us, here, here, take this. Zero percent interest. To take this. You deserve it. And the enemy comes along and says to us, take this. Nobody has to know about it. In that context, Jesus says to us today, take this, my body. Take this, my blood. And all these other things the world and the enemy offer us, they're not going to satisfy us, and we're going to want something else. We're never quenched. We're never satisfied. But Jesus, he says, take this, and you're, you're never going to thirst. Take this, you're never going to hunger. Because he offers us true contentment and true joy that is grounded in him. And that's a glorious offer he makes. We're reminded of that offer every time we come to this table. Every time we receive this bread and this cup. Jesus doesn't offer the disciples at the Last Supper, nor we offer today. You know, here, here's here's a whole basket of bread. Now we take this piece of unleavened bread that seems so insignificant, and yet it it, it represents that which is infinitely significant. And the cup for the disciples at that meal, this, this little cup for us today, it's common. And yet it represents that which is so far from common. Because <laughs> it, it represents that which will satisfy our souls in a way that nothing else ever will and ever can. A soul satisfaction that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And so we invite you today to turn away from that which the world offers and to receive that which Christ offers. As I mentioned at the beginning of our service, this table is for those who have professed Christ as Lord. And what that means, in case you're curious this morning, is it means that we believe the truth of God's word that says from the, the moment that Adam and Eve and their coveting hearts turned from God and went after that which they desired more than God. From that moment forward, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. We deserve what this rich man in Jesus' parable received. We deserve death and we deserve judgment. In fact, the scripture says that the wages of our sin, that this death, it's an eternal judgment under the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. But God demonstrates his love toward us, Romans 5, 8, and that while we were still sinners, like Adam and Eve in that garden, Christ died for us. He gave what we could never earn. He presents to us what we never can deserve. He died in our place on the cross. He took the death that we deserve so that we could receive a life we do not deserve, and that life is eternal.
And we're told in God's word, if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the question this man should have asked Jesus. How can I know? But Jesus is so good, he answers questions we don't ask. <laughs> the ones we need to ask. And that's the answer you and I need this morning, is Christ. And if you put your hope in Christ and you made a public profession of your trust in him, then we invite you to come to this table with us. If you've yet to do that, then we invite you to observe as we now come to this table together.